Welcome to Full Stack Business Owner, where we are enhancing your full stack of skills to build wealth inside. And where else, Charlie? Outside. Your business. Today, (laughs) that was way too smooth. Today, we're talking all things that Full Stack Business Owners talk about. And by the way, if you're not already, join the newsletter. Head over to fullstackbusinessowner.com forward slash newsletter. Put in your details. Why? Because Charlie sends out awesome emails. I do have to say the stories about the fajita was one of my favorites. So that was that was definitely up there. But before we continue riffing, Charlie, I just want someone to cue your infamous disclaimer. Charlie here from Full Stack Business Owner. I need to let you know that Grant, myself, and the Full Stack Business Owner team are in no way, shape, or form qualified to give you financial advice or pick investment products. We highly encourage you seek out and engage the use of professionals when making financial decisions or comparing investment products. All right, Grant, today, what causes most business owners to get stuck and actually never achieve their potential or hit their wealth goals? A huge topic, an important topic. Massive. You ready? The root cause. All right, go for it. Okay, so um, one of the things that I found really interesting, and I'm in a very fortunate position, is that over the last, let's say, particularly last five years, is I've got to spend a lot of time inside other people's businesses. And I mean a lot. So when I was in the marketing business is like we would go into these business models and we'd be running uh, big campaigns in marketing and sales and I'd get to see how it turns into money. Yep. I'd get to see that if I generated, let's just say, uh, a fitness lead for one gym or another gym, like what they would actually do for it. And it was really, really fascinating. And then in more recent times is that I've been very fortunate that many people reach out and like they want help with like, well, how do I get my business to a stage that I can start playing the wealth game? Like, why don't I have the profits sitting in my bank account to go and do the things that you and I get to do pretty regularly? Yep. And we've made a bit of a list here on like the areas that I think most business owners get caught at. And uh, I suspect this conversation is going to be very, very helpful for people in like unlocking some big profit centers and ways they can really shape this up. Uh, it's an interesting point that you've made, right? Because I feel that I have become more aware of these things because of my visibility of other organizations and organizations that I've invested in, right? Like if I was a business owner and I had just the business I was running and I'd been running that for five, 10 years, I don't think intuitively I would pick up these things. And you made a really interesting point there. It's like, well, when you generate a lead for a fitness lead, for example, you were able to see across multiple different fitness businesses how they generate money and profits and turn that one little thing into something magical. And some will do it better than others. But the question is like, why? It's the same fitness lead. It's the same kind of concept. It's like, why can they turn it It's like mind-bending. This was like absolutely mind-bending how you could literally be in the same niche and in some cases the same city and how two similar businesses would make very different amounts of money in the same market. It's very, very fascinating. Now, I'll I'll take this one up further is like, well, why did this become such a key desire for me? And I'll just flag this one out is like, and I know many people have heard this story. I'm just going to paraphrase it really, really quickly here is like, for me, one of the things I really wanted is like when we had kids is I didn't want Bianca to have to work, right? It's like, all right, when we have a son, I want her to have the option to take as much maternity leave for as long as she wants without being worried about money. Now, the side note of that is it put immense pressure on me to earn more. Like I was like, it is not cheap to live in Australia and if I'm going to like go from the income I'm on to here is like I, I have to figure it out. I have to search to these things. Yep. And I think many business owners get so caught up in the day-to-day of running their business, like building themselves in it, that they never spend the time on these things and like never unlock any of them that come with it. So um, my like – and that's why I think so many people don't spend a lot of time on these areas – is because they haven't necessarily like ha- had that push that I had where it was like it was a burning floor. Like, you know, we were planning on having kids. I'm like, oh, I've got to work this out. Yeah. I've got to work this out. And I, I would argue that the failure along the way of it not working, it not working, it not working, they're trying to figure out why. <laughs> why is this thing not working? How sad a day is it when you realise that making 10 grand a month, which sounds like a lot of money, and I mean net, 
isn't necessarily going to lead to um, a high quality life in Australia. Totally. I'm not saying it's a bad life, but it's just that's not a lot of money in Australia. But especially when you compare the time, the effort, like the education that many business owners put behind it and like 10 grand a month is very similar to a salary that you'd get working Monday to Friday, nine to five. And like that is just demoralizing sitting there going, oh my gosh, why? Why am I putting myself through this? And I know Charlie, we, we get pings about this exact point going, why am I pushing so hard? And that's why I'm actually excited to dive into these points because I think this is actually really going to help quite a lot of people who might be facing that or sitting there just going, what do you guys know? What am I missing here? What is that missing piece that will help? I'll, I'll bet. It's one of these four. Yeah. I'll bet heavily. This is like almost a little audit thing, but let's dig into them instead of like just like teasing it out and twisting the knife a little bit here. <laughs> I, was, I was enjoying that. All right, kick it off, number one. All right, so the number one I look at is business model. I think business model is a large reason why so many business owners get stuck and honestly just don't make a lot of money. And uh, I want to kick this one off with an example is like if you look at uh, McDonald's versus a mum and dad restaurant, is like fundamentally they both serve food, but well – do I really need to state the obvious here? One of them makes a lot more money despite probably serving lower quality food. Yeah. Depending how you want to rank it, right? I think some things at McDonald's are actually quite nice. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind a nugget every now and again. Except for watching those videos about how they, they manufacture them. But why why is that, Ryan? Like is that just economies of scale? But Charlie, it's McDonald's. They have a huge supply chain. They can negotiate down on cheaper prices. Like that is the reason they're so successful is because they can buy products at a cheaper price. They have more people that push through them, which is why they scale better than a mum and dad. It's like, or is that not the case, Charlie? It's not the case. Well, I love the McDonald's example, right? Because I feel like a lot of people just always want to go, well, better product, better product. They, they which is not the case. product and business model. Yeah. Right, so why I love the McDonald's example so much is it really challenges people. We like everyone can agree there are definitely nicer burger joints out there. Like if you want to go and get a, a really high quality burger, like McDonald's doesn't make the top of the list for many people. I'm sure there's someone out there, but it's like so. Then you have to be really sitting there going, "You're telling me there's someone with a worse product making more money than me?" Yep. And you go, "Yes," and it's like, "Okay, why?" And it's because they have a better business model. They completely worked out how to do a better business model. Now, I'll share one more example here that I have, and I'm sure you've got some as well, is like when I used to uh, have the marketing agency, there was literally like we had two fitness clients in Sydney, right? And they were both in, um, let's just call it like weight loss as the subcategory here. Yep. So we would generate leads for them. It wasn't a conflict of interest before anyone sends me that because um, they're a little bit more localized. But the idea being is that we would send leads to one gym and all they could really sell them was like a gym membership. Yep. They'd have people come in and they would sell them a gym membership and like that's all they could do with it. So the lifetime value of a client to them was just purely around this gym membership where the other gym we worked with we would send them a lead and what they would do that was really different was like when someone came in, they'd do an audit of like, okay, what are you trying to achieve? And then they'd make recommendations for like supplements, clothing, um, personal training, like all this stuff around it so that they would make substantially more money. And they go, well, if you're trying to uh, – why not do a group 16-week program? Like they were very innovative with like what they would actually offer, but their lifetime value of a client – was like five times more than the other one. So you can look at it and go, if your lifetime value is five times more, like just think of how much profit you unlock in that business in you know generated lean versus the other. And that it is a point that a lot of people might miss on the nuances of that, right? Because you've got you've got different business models. And I know we spoke about uh, McDonald's and sort of mum and dad restaurants, if you will, and fitness businesses that might have a gym versus someone who might have a gym plus supplements plus all these things. Like they are deliberate decisions that a business owner has made in order for them to generate more profit or or more demand out of what they've got, right? Like I could imagine nothing would be worse than having a physical gym and you're generating leads and someone's like just outside of that 5K band and I'm like, well, I can't service you. Right, because my business model doesn't support you. Like this is something that I can't do. And understanding that that is perceivably a limitation you have put on yourself. And the better question is, well, how can I adapt my business model to support scalability, support growth, as opposed to going, I just have a gym and the only people I can service are the people that can come into the gym. There's just so many different ways you can 
you can approach that, right? Like this old model of thinking of you can just have one thing and that is it, I think fundamentally needs to change. Hugely so. So I've been thinking about this point quite a lot is like, and I'm going to ask you the question first, what makes a business model better than another one? Like how do you actually, like if I said to you, oh, this, is, this business model is awesome versus this one is not awesome, like what do you think about other factors that make a business model better? For me personally, yeah. it would go scalability, uh, probably market size and demand, and profitability. Yeah, see, I, I, scalability I would definitely say. I would say the other two aren't necessarily like business model related. They would help but, validate, sorry, my business model. So, so for me, it's leverage. I really think yeah. about the leverage component. I think that the best business models are the ones that have the best leverage. So when you really look at like, let's just look at like the Facebook business model. Like you look at the scalability and the leverage on, you know, the code they write. Yeah. Yeah, it's massive. Like I think that's a fantastic business model. If you look at going back to McDonald's, it's like you look at how they've been able to make something so systemized that they can be everywhere in the world. Yep. Like same the leverage on that is just hugely so. So when, when I come back to these points and I'm really thinking about like if someone wanted to improve their business model, I would be thinking about the leverage component. Like how can you create more leverage within what you're doing through people, through uh, debt, through other people's ideas, like there's – what is it? Other people's money, other people's, other people's money. Uh, time yeah. and then other people's brains, the three. But it's like I look at that and just think that that is probably the critical factor in improving a business model. And some of the ways that I've approached this that I, I know you <coughs> you and I, Charlie, have spoken about this before is looking at other industries that might be a little bit odd, right, and trying to bring those concepts in. Like that that concept around having a physical gym – and bringing in supplements or potentially bringing in online learning and bringing in other things is it's now commonplace, but it wasn't at some point, which means that someone has gone to, great, well, universities can educate other people virtually. Maybe I could do the same. Oh, great. I don't need to have a pharmacy or a nutrition physical store. I could just go and sell that online. Great. And looking at what other people are doing that could apply to your business model. Because nothing is like you no one's gonna have a unique idea here. Like it's mostly all been done before. It is more going, or how have they gone and implemented some kind of business model, whether it's a subscription, whether it is uh, virtual, whether it is these things that help create leverage and taking that and saying, well, is that applicable to what I'm doing? And this comes back to the point that we talk about quite a lot around research and network and all of these other areas that business owners should be pushing into to get these creative ideas to go, actually, I could approach that. I'll give you, let's go through this example. Let's say you're a coach, right? You've got a coaching business or a consulting business, right? How, how do you make a better business model for a coach? Is like we go from maybe one-on-one to one-to-many. Yep. So if you can uh, train a group rather than one person, is like you've then created more leverage, which has then unlocked a massive amount of profit in the business. And then, well, how do you go further than that? Go, okay, well, there's probably a couple here where you could go franchise, like Action Coach did. So now there's all these one-on-one coaches out there supporting the franchise, yep. similar to McDonald's as well, I will say. Uh, but then you've got product. So like you look to modern times, and I know someone we're a really big fan of is like Mind Pump. So if you look to Mind Pump, these were guys that were literally personal trainers, and now they make courses. So you think of the leverage they've created through online, it's like better business model. Yep. So again, I, I really, really like that. If you're if you're an agency, right? So if, again, I just want to give a couple of examples so people might, their brains might turn a little bit with this and go, oh, that's actually something I hadn't considered. So if you're an agency and like you're doing, I don't know, ad campaigns, like how do you make your business model better? It's like, okay, well, you're going to bring in team because if yep. you can bring in more it's team, you can do more campaigns. And then eventually at a time you might go, well, I might make a software to do some of these things or I might make a course to go with some of these things. Like it's really when you add in leverage, I think business models improved. Yeah. And Um, I I like your concept around agency and I always think back to the sort of the three categories of like done for you, which is like a service and a delivery and then going, well, how could we do it with you? which is more like a coaching, you know, one to many. I don't know. I'm done with you, I think. I'll just say uh, the done with you, I think, should be the most expensive in many cases. Because <laughs> yeah. well, clients. Man, what is it? Business would be so much better if you didn't have clients. <laughs> I would just it's say a- from here, I look at some of the businesses that have tried to do done with you and I'm like, 
done for you would have been cheaper and easier to deliver. <laughs> Involving stress. the client in that experience that didn't necessarily have the skills was not a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> and then the third one I was saying, Charlie, was like, do it yourself, right? And, and so you can kind of come down or you can go the other way, right? Like you could be a course creator and then you could go and build like an agency on the back of it to say, actually, I can go and implement that. Again, you want to understand your profit margins and the leverage and all those things that sit on top of it as well, because it's not always a great idea to exactly what you were saying, Charlie, but is thinking outside the box. Like in uh, one of the software companies I invested in uh, ages ago, they moved from just going product license sales and saying, okay, this is what it is, a hundred bucks a month um, per seat, continuing on from there. They then supported it with implementation services. And then they put a managed service on top at like five, 10 grand a month. And then they support the licenses through people and they just build like this little services layer as well to go and increase revenue for something that was scalable, that whether they did it onshore or offshore. And that is just improving the business model to make sure people are more sticky, they stay around for longer, profit margins are greater, but also using your point, which is leverage, code and people. Yeah, so let's unpack that one a little bit there because I think that's a really interesting one. Is like if you have, let's say, two services, right, or you've got a software and a service, I don't think people recognize that if you offer two things, you only, you pay once for acquisition. Yep. Like that's the advantage of the business model. So totally. in your case here, if you sell a software, right, you pay to acquire that uh, customer through marketing, but you don't pay again to sell them the service because you've already got access to them. Exactly. So the zero cost of acquisition into the next layer is like, that's a better business model. Anytime. Should, we, should we do an example for product as well, though? By the way, <laughs> oh, go for it, go for it. <laughs> no, no, you could, you could. Say, I suspect you already know it, but it's like, although if I put you on the spot, no, no, you, I'm actually curious what you're thinking because I got one that I'm going to riff up. Yeah, so when you think about like product, for example, this is where I think of um, debt. In all honesty, this is the one that I most lean into on money because if you were going to, let's say, you had to make a factory to build something, or you're a builder and you're doing houses. Like what actually unlocks scale for this one is like the idea of like, well, how do you do more? Yep. And this is taking on other people's money. So if you're a toy shop, you want to sell more toys at Christmas, by having more product to sell, the leverage is in being able to create more product. But again, better business model. Like I, I just look at product and look at what Tesla's done. Yeah, They've gone, well, the way we're going to win at this is by doing like, I think it's called on demand. So you actually pre-buy the cars instead of having them have them on the lot. But that's just a, such an interesting idea in itself for product. Yeah. And the interesting thing when it comes to manufacturing, and I always think about a mate of mine who does it, is like the difference between manufacturing and retail, right? So you've got direct-to-consumer, which is I manufacture a product and sell it to someone and I'm going to keep the entire profit margin. Now, that's a fundamentally different business model to like Fisher Paykel, who just oh. manufactures product and pushes it through Toys R Us. Dude, that's such a better example. I wish I gave that example. <laughs> that was actually really good. That's, what's that vertical integration? Totally. Like the, whole, the Apple thing or the Lululemon thing. It's like they've absorbed the profit through all the layers from going from manufacturing to retail. That's such but, a good example. But think about the complexity difference of going direct, like manufacturing and selling it. You have to have your warehouses, you have to have your shipping, you have to have your, like your engineering guys to go and build your little widgety thing. But then if you're Fisher Pockle, all you care about is like building the thing and they're just pushing it to outlets like Target, Kmart, uh, Toys R Us, et cetera. Their business model is like just this. This is what we do. We create great products and then there's a mar enough margin for us in there and we're just going to push it through everybody else. We're direct to consumer. It's like, no, we're going to have to eat glass to try and perfect this because we want the bigger profit margin. Um, but the, all, and then you got Toys R Us or Myers and David Jones. It's like, we'll just sell other people's products. No worries. We will get the customer and they will produce the product that customers want. Well, isn't it interesting who's doing better in totally. that example, right? It's like, would you want to be a Meyer or a David Jones at the moment? It's totally. Like those, the value of those locations has changed and they've missed opportunity to have exclusive. They probably do have exclusive brands now, but it's fascinating that we look at like Apple and Lululemon and the ones that have gone vertical have clearly done better in more recent times. Versus like an Amazon, eBay, Catch, Kogan, all of those guys that are just like, we've got customers. Better leverage. Totally. Exactly. You look at it. The postal service is better leverage for Amazon than being in shopping centers. Yep. Although I think they own Whole Foods now as well and like have locations. But you get the idea. It's better <laughs> leverage. Idea. Better leverage. I shouldn't undo every good example I have with an example of why it's not the one. Anyway, let's jump into the next point because we've got go a bit to get through. Go for it. Um, next one on the list here is moat. And um, the idea of a moat for anyone that is an idea, and the way I think about it is that if every business is a castle, 
the moat around them is their defense. Yep. It's the defendable position. If you don't have a moat, anyone can attack you or take market share or commoditize you at any point, which actually makes it difficult for your business to be sustainable. And I just want to point out one of these ones really here. The key symptom on this one I've seen many times is when someone doesn't have a moat and an industry starts getting commoditized, the only option is run harder. Yep. Get cheaper, run harder, which leads to the business owner working more hours to make less money. Yep. I think you've had a, you had a great example of this one that you've mentioned in other, to- other episodes potentially, but can you just share your experience with uh, your agency and what you saw back in the day? <laughs> yeah. So uh, back in the day, I ran an SEO company, which when I first got into it, everybody wanted. Everybody's like, well, this, there's this black hole called SEO and we want to rank first on Google because that's where we're going to get customers, which was great. So it was almost like this first mover advantage, if you will. Local-based gentleman. Um, I also then was able to leverage Philippines employees. So I had this good little profit margin sitting in there. And then what happened? It became commoditized. So over many, many years, what was sort of this moat around, hey, like I've got a business and I can do it affordable and use sort of offshore staffing, now it just became what everybody had. And so this moat that I originally had kind of disappeared. (laughs) And so then I was looking at this business going, well, how is everybody challenging this? And I had to choose between either just closing it, which is what I did, or going complete like bespoke, high quality this is what we're doing or trying to compete with everybody else on price and just saying like, we're going to be like high volume, um, high turnover of like clients and things like that because everyone just wants the cheapest product. And I just said, I just can't play this game. This is not a game I want to win. I'm now going to move to something that's got an actual moat on it. And so it, it was good because of first mover advantage, but it was bad because what was a moat at the time, it was like having a moat that went through a drought (laughs) It's like the rain wasn't coming in and the moat just dried up and then everybody just stormed my castle. I was just thinking, how many people do you think have confused being early as having a moat? Totally. Me. (laughs) That was me. I'm like, I got nothing. What I should have done is gone into something that was like difficult to replicate or a complete like niche. Like this, I specialize in, I don't know, car dealerships. Like I just do SEO for car dealerships and that is all I do. Like doing that thing that other people aren't going to step in on or very challenging for them to specialize in like what I was doing would have been a better idea. <laughs> I would, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say, this is, I had a, a conversation earlier in the week in someone and like that, a great business three years ago, but that, and they eluded themselves into thinking that they had a moat and that this thing was just going to last forever. Yeah. And in the last three years is like many people have moved into that space and it's like it's just become so more commoditized and hard to compete. I'd probably say the coaching industry has probably seen a lot of this as well. Personal point. trainers was another one where this really happened. A lot of people came into it. I I must say I was um, – if you go back, like I have to laugh now because I, I had more time than I realized. This is like eight years ago. I was like Facebook ads going – oh, man, too many people are coming into this. This is not going to – like, let's get out. Like, it's going to become commoditized. That was probably one that took longer. But I suspect for many people listening to this podcast, lack of moat and defendable p- position is something that's going to end up becoming their Achilles heel. Totally. Really well. And so it, it's interesting because first mover advantage is obviously not a moat, uh, which is your example around Facebook as my example around SEO. So what, what are some of – some of the really good examples around what a moat could be or should be. I use the niche example around, hey, I could just specialize in one industry and apply like a service to that one industry so that no one else can really come in because I am I am that go-to guy. What else do you see around for like people going, what is a moat? How could I apply it? Yeah, so when I think moat, I'll just throw in a few other ones. Is like, I yeah, so uh, brand can be a moat. If you've got a, uh, if people trust a particular brand, that could be a moat. So I'll give an example, Kim Kardashian, right, I think is an amazing example of this is because she can literally pick a commodity. She could pick any makeup product and say, buy this and people would. Yeah. That's like so her a billion dollar company brand, open up. <laughs> yeah. So personal brands, I really think are a moat. I think they're a fantastic thing where consumers like they'll pay extra to buy a product from a particular person and very difficult for other people to replicate. So I think that's a huge one. Um, Second one is high barrier to entry. I'd really think is another one I like. So if someone needs to come up with a billion dollars to come in, compete with you, 
Like how many people can do that? Totally. Yeah. Yeah. So on the opposite side of that, if you can do a Facebook ads course in a weekend, how many people can come and compete with you? Just like a personal training course or anything like that. Yeah. Yeah. So online fitness programs is one where it's like a very low barrier to entry. Um, I look at many of them and go, well, um, if you created a higher barrier of entry to compete with you, you would see uh, that be less of the case. Yep. So th- this is one mostly for digital stuff. Like the greatest thing for digital stuff is it's easy to get in. The most dangerous side of it is it's easy for everyone it's, else to get in. It's easy for everyone. Yeah. It's yeah, like so, software took me what, two years and about a million dollars before I could actually sell something. <laughs> yeah, software is a great one though. So it's like you look at that, how much money did you have to spend? How hard is it to replicate? Like people might come into the same space, but it's like there's so few people. Like how hard would it be to compete with HubSpot today? Totally, yeah. Salesforce. So you look at these and it's like high barrier to entry. Yeah. It's getting uh, it's getting lower, but still like, yeah, I like that. And the barrier to entry around is uh, I love the concept of the complexity. Right. Yeah, so if you're, yeah, continue. No, go for it. Do you want it? Yeah. You can riff on this one. Totally. The, the complexity to deliver a service. Um, and this is one thing that still challenges me to this day around the SEO example is because to deliver SEO well, and depends on how you sort of level of knowledge of SEO, you really need a good content writer, you need good developers, you need really good sort of PR, like people going out and trying to get links on other people's websites. Like there is a full team around there that you actually need to put in place to deliver it well. And so the complexity around delivering that service is difficult. The only downside though in SEO is that the market never saw that complexity and didn't think there was a complexity. They thought one person could do it. <laughs> and so the complexity for other people to get in, if, you, uh, if it's a service, and I know Charlie, we've got a great example with what we do with Valimedia, um, where you, if you need a large team of complementary skill sets to deliver the one thing, it's so much harder for someone else to put it together. Completely. I'll, do, I'll share the Valimedia example because I put a lot of effort into this moat when I started this business. Um, so I went out and looked and like you can pretty much find podcast editing for audio like everywhere. Yep. It's not actually hard. There's a ton of podcast audio companies and even these days podcast video companies out there. It is a commodity in my opinion. I would not start a company today doing just one of those. I think it's insane. But what I realized very quickly is that um, there was no one out there actually offering podcast strategy, yep. podcast production, and then publishing and then amplification. So that would be like running ads to a podcast. So I took four things and I said, if I could design a business model where I'll help someone come up with their podcast strategy aligned to their goals, which is something I, I developed as a skill, we'll do the editing on audio and video because I know some people aren't doing video. We'll also publish it. So that means put it everywhere online and then we're going to run ads to it as well. So like we have a media buying team. I couldn't find anyone doing that. And I looked at how hard it would be to compete with me against that because you have to, there's a huge complexity in delivering that well that I'm uniquely suited to. Yeah. So the moat become wide and like people would come into the space and like the amount of times I've had people come to me, it's like they, they worked with someone else, but they didn't fulfill one of those components. So the show was a failure. I could just go in and say, oh, look, your strategy sucks. If you let me fix your strategy, we can make you a successful show. Or yep. you're not running ads to your podcast or doing anything to grow it. Like there's no wonder no one's listening. Talk about so, it. Yeah. So I think if you can make, com- like, and I don't like saying making the business model more complex, but it's like kind of is, right? kind of like it's a very hard to replicate thing in that way yeah it's very hard for them to continue on uh one of my other ones that i love but is very difficult for a lot of business owners to pull off is like an ecosystem right this is the apple play exactly right so i get someone in on my platform and then they can continue to consume like i was the guy that i'm like no i'm not gonna get an apple and then my uh, my Windows, two of my window pcs died and then i bought an apple laptop because i called my so here we go story Two PCs died when I was living in the Philippines and my cousin was a store manager at JB Hi-Fi in Melbourne. I called him up and I just said, what is the laptop that you never get back? What is like the one that just people never bring back because they're broken? He's like, you don't want to know. No, no, tell me. And his exact words were, Fisher Pike or my first computer. And I'm like, I don't think I like where you're going with this. He's like, yeah, it's a Mac. <laughs> and so I bought one and now they've consumed me into the entire freaking ecosystem via that gateway drug. 
And that is a serious moat because how hard is it for me to get the hell out now? <laughs> like it's going to be so difficult. But now they know I'm going to consume so many of their products. I'm subscribed to their stuff. I'm just, I've just consumed the entire ecosystem. It is a great, a great example of a company with a very, very strong moat. And they got many of the layers we talked about. They got brand, they got ecosystem, uh, very hard to compete against, high barrier to entry. I, I would just say for anyone listening to this is like it, the thing that really comes to me with moat is like what makes you hard to compete against? That's yeah. the key. Like you've got a moat when it's like you're hard to compete with. Yep. And I like your moat in regards to the ecosystem around Valamedia. Uh, just because if you were to try and remove a single piece of that, like it's it's all going to form down. So it's, it's a house of cards because it's like, well, I'm just going to oh, Don't say that. That's <laughs> No, no. So if, if you were a client <laughs> looking at it and go, I'm going to remove the podcasting, what are you going to do for amplification? Where are you going to go for strategy? Like there's so many moving pieces that you have to go and go to in order to try and fill in the gaps. Like it's not just this one service. Yeah, but it's also worth paying extra for. Uh, totally. I, pff, that is a great segue, Charlie. Uh, do you like that? I thought <laughs> that it was good. Like. <laughs> that was, hey, do you want to go to number three, point number three? <laughs> yeah, let's go to point number three. Um, <laughs> it was fantastic. Pricing. I think pricing is such an interesting one, Grant, as, as we – you would almost swear I'm a professional after that segue. That, that was so good. <laughs> Thank you. Um, all right, let's talk about pricing here. Is like I actually would um, – I find it very interesting, and I'm sure you do as well, like how many businesses aren't just aren't priced correctly? Like, dude, I was talking. I was talking to a guy that was doing like, oh, was he? he was offering a service, and he he wanted to build the new like design pickle of a particular service, and you were on the call with me. And I said to him after you dropped off the call, I said, if you build that service for that price, and it was such a low, it was like a couple hundred bucks a month for unlimited editing. And I'm like, I will happily pay for it, which is why everybody tells you it's a great idea because it's stupidly cheap <laughs> and you're just going to eat glass and not make profit. I'm like, but I'll be a customer because it's so cheap. <laughs> and he's like, I never thought about this. I'm like, what? <laughs> I, I'll, I'll share a story on this one because I, I look at this. Many business owners, um, they have to be cheap to get customers. And then that just causes all the other problems. Like they never learn how to market and sell properly or they don't have a moat or their business model sucks. And then they come to this point here and they have to be cheap. And then the challenge with that is that they're never able to actually invest in their business well enough or get the people they need or any of it to be able to run a successful business. Complete death spiral. Complete yeah. death spiral because they don't understand the root cause of why they're in a death spiral. Yeah, so I'll use an example of this is um, I went um, and I'll, I'll, I will share the name on this one. I often do it, but I think this is a credit to the person. Um, I was in Ben Simpkins' mastermind for many years and I consider Ben a dear friend and like he taught me a lot. He really did. He's a very talented individual. Now, <clears throat> what was interesting is that when I went and worked with Ben, one of the things that he said to me is like, you don't want to be a cheap agency. Like don't be a cheap agency if you're running ads. And I think I was charging like two grand, maybe two and a half grand at the time for an ad campaign. And he, I think he said to me, and like, don't quote me on the numbers of this. It was quite a while ago now, but he's like, we charge 10 grand a month for a ad campaign. And he's like, just think about this. You go and charge someone two and a half grand. What talent can you actually hire to deliver a successful campaign? I was like, yeah, he's like, you're doing a lot of it. Yep. Right, so the problem is it creates a trap for you because you sell like 10 of these and you have to deliver all that work and you can never afford the talent that would allow you to step out of your business model and be a business owner. Yep. He goes, for me, when I charge someone 10 grand a month, if I've got 10 clients, I've got the best copywriters. I've got the best ads managers. So it's like there's this – and I never thought about it in this way. It's actually easier to deliver good results in a more expensive agency – than it is in a small agency where you're cheaper or commoditized in that, or not even commoditized, but just that cheaper way because you can never afford the talent in this example. So like this is where business owners get trapped in their business. Don't create a healthy enough margin, end up having to run harder. And it's like, again, it's just, I think it's a very, very dangerous thing. I, think I, I like to think about this as like a root cause, right? Cause it, it really does go down into this death spiral where they're like, well, I need to pay the bills. I've, I need to make some money. Just any sales, good sale at the moment, like especially new business owners starting out. 
right or new business owners who sort of haven't, uh, I know their moat's drying up or their business model needs to be improved and things like that, right? Like they just keep going, I need the next one, I need the next one, I need the next one. And so from your experience, because I'm going to riff on this after sort of you share your thoughts, the, the interesting thing for me has been trying to understand how they have got into sort of that personal justification of why they need to be cheap and the limiting belief that they have in order for them to like go, okay, no, I just need to be cheap. I just need to be cheap. I just need to be cheap. Um, like one of the, the couple of points that I first think about is uh, like they're scared of people saying no. They find that leads are very difficult to get and so they would just want to continue to sell everything. <laughs> and so like the, the reasons for these is just because of all of the other two points that we've mentioned. You don't have a moat. You don't have a business model that supports it and not a lot of people want your service. So now the only unique advantage you've got is being cheap. Uh, you, in my view, like a lot of these tie in together, right? One symptom leads to the next and uh, like so many things in here. Right? So let, let, from my perspective, like when I really think about this is like, number one, I'm actually going to throw legacy in there. So many people like sign up people on services and like when they were small, then they grow their business, not realizing that they've grown their business and like, well, if you've got management layers and all these new overheads, maybe the pricing you used to charge is no longer profitable for you. And that was me, right? So when it was just me and my agency, dude, I charged like 500 bucks to run some Facebook ad accounts. Because it was just me. (laughs) Yeah, do you know what? It actually wasn't a bad lifestyle for a young fella. Yeah, that makes sense. So it's like I had like 10 accounts. It was five grand a month. That was more money than I'd ever like had in my life at this point. And it was just me doing ads and everything. But as soon as I started to hire and get, tools and offices and overheads, it just it wasn't profitable. So I would say many businesses keep legacy clients on cheap pricing out of being loyal and then it sucks the profit out of their new clients even if they increase their prices and, like, that's one of the ways pricing plays out. Um, two is, like, if you don't have a moat or a strategic advantage or any reason for people to pay more, you can be forced into being cheap. Completely. So if the market is dictating a rate, you like, why would anyone pay more for it if they don't have to? Yep. So I think that is a huge one. I think um, many business owners, like their belief in themselves was a great point. I love that one as well. They don't believe they can charge more. And then I think it's also that they haven't developed marketing and sales skills. I love that last one. Totally. Because it, it comes back to that feast and famine. Like if you've got people knocking down your door because you, there's a starving crowd that wants what you have, <laughs> then uh, you can set your pricing because the the value that you're delivering in their eyes is greater than the price they're going to be buying. Uh, let's go to that example, right? I think everyone can relate to this. If you've got a nightclub, right, and it's there's a hot dog van parked out the front of it at 3 a.m. in the morning, and I'm talking like a crappy Bayer Marie, terrible, probably had the food sitting in it for way too long. Where in like Melbourne they, is the kebab joint? <laughs> yeah, well, like what? think about their business model, right? They First off, no one to compete with. They've got a great moat. It's completely defendable. They can charge whatever they want for a crappy product. And you know what? This is – and people love it. People come out there and this feels so great for being able to get their dirty souvlaki or hot dog or whatever it is at 3 a.m. in the morning. And I look at that and go, like, that is just such the example of, like, when you have that. Noting it's not a glamorous business like Apple or anything like that, but I think it's a really good example of, like – I'll give another one. Telstra used to have terrible support. A terrible, I will say it has improved, but it's like because they were the only one offering phone services in yeah. some areas. They could get away with it. It's like, yeah. where are you going to go? <laughs> but then they, they get a, the greatest thing about those examples is they get a charge for it. Like it's like <laughs> I'm just sitting there in my dog's stand. It's the same like you would have been to music festivals and it's like eight bucks, nine bucks, or airports, eight bucks, nine for bucks for water. water. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sitting there, I'm like at the airport and I'm like, I'm like what the heck is this? I was at, so I was at the snow and it was $8.50 for a bottle of like the Coles brand water. Like they've just gone and bought the Coles, thrown it on the, th- the shelves. And I'm like, well done. <laughs> well done. Starving crowd right here. And like ain't nothing else around here unless I start drinking snow. I'm like, you, my good sir, have just made a stupid amount of profit. Congratulations. I feel like the example I see today is there's so many business owners standing in coals trying to sell cans of Coke for a premium price. Next to the Coke. (laughs) I love that. Yes. I think that is a very real analogy. Do you want want a can of Coke? I'm just trying to get the six pack behind you. Uh, Do you want mine? (laughs) 
Yeah, think of the course creators, right? Oh, I want you to buy this course, but I can watch a free tutorial on YouTube. Yeah, yeah but it's, yeah, you might want to rethink that one. The pricing is so critical and it comes, yeah, the self-worth, everything. Love it. All right, so we'll jump in the last point here now and I think uh, innovation. Oh, innovation is for you. All right, do you want to kick this one off? I feel like we should lead off with your favorite. I'm, I'm hinting because it's in the notes. It's the number one point. <laughs> no. Go, go, right. they, uh, it's at a certain location. Like how have they innovated so beautifully here? It's this great restaurant chain that a lot of people have heard of. Like, in, to the extent that, Charlie, you would understand, like there, these things sit on every corner, every road. You walk past these gorgeous restaurants every day. I, you know, I bet everyone's thinking McDonald's right now and it's not it's McDonald's. Fantastic. But I bet everyone's shopped there. <laughs> so when you walk in, you go to the you go to the person at the front and you go and tap your card on the thing and you go and get your $1 coffee from 7-Eleven. And it's the greatest innovation I've ever seen. Why? It grinds my coffee whilst I push the button, Charlie. Like just grinds it. It froths my milk just as well as the cafes froth my milk. And I get a glorious takeaway coffee cup that's got a one and a dollar sign on the bottom, just so everyone knows how much I've paid for my coffee. Talk about innovation in its finest form at 7-Eleven on their coffees. Did I set that up well? So well. <laughs> but, this, but this is it, a business that's sitting there. They've got so much space everywhere, right? Like every main corner, it's like a McDonald's and a 7-Eleven, and they – Prime people coming in, getting you and I, we spent way too much money on protein bars at 7 Eleven, but that's all about the convenience. And they're like, well, what is the next convenience? Not everyone wants Slurpees. We can put it, put in coffee machines and just pump volume. Talk about innovation because now they're in the store buying protein bars. Now they're in the store buying a bottle of water. Now they're in the store buying all this other stuff. I'm like, oh my gosh, innovation is fantastic. Don't need a barista, just go straight in. I appreciate what they have done. Yeah, what you should point out is like it's a reasonable coffee as well, right? There's been many crappy coffee machines over the year that aren't alluring at the cheap price. But I think 7-Eleven with their dollar coffee had done an amazing innovation and way of bringing people into their stores who then buy all these other things at a premium price. Exactly. Yeah, so they innovated amazingly in their way. And I just think this is a, it's a really good example. I suspect they took quite a bit of market share from local cafes and tradies, dude, tr- the amount of tradies that are in 7-Elevens that, that would have gone to a cafe before is incredible, incredible. Talk, talk about innovating. But this, is, this comes back to another point around like picking trends as well, right? Like if you were if, – if you rewound maybe 10 years and you said to everybody, hey, you can go to this machine and push a button and, and go and get your coffee and it's going to be good and it's in 7-Eleven – it probably wasn't the right time. It was the same with Apple with their Apple glasses or Google glasses or whichever one was just, it was just too early. The trend was never there. It wasn't ready. The market did not want that at that time. But then 7-Eleven comes in and sees this trend around people saying, coffee's getting too expensive. Inflation's killing me. And I will say that 7-Eleven is going from $1 to $2, which is outrageous. Um, but it's like, how do, I, how do I utilize this trend? How do I innovate to maximize my returns based on where this market is going. And I think it's the greatest example where people can think about that exact same thing of going, well, how do I innovate with trends, whether it's improving my service, providing another product, providing cheaper, more expensive, however you want to approach it, just to make sure my business is not stagnant, to keep filling the mode up with water, to keep improving on my business model, to keep bringing, making people want to come in. I, I, I can keep going, Charlie. <laughs> I want to share a story here. I've got a couple of stories. But um, when I was like maybe 22, 23, um, I was actually considering opening a plumbing business, right? Because, I, I mean, I was a qualified plumber at this point. It would make sense to open a plumbing business, right? Um, I was doing kind of some uh, what would be like freelancing or like contracting and stuff. But it's like I was like, I oh, know I'm going to get a factory. I'm going to get all these guys. And um, I had a mentor that said something to me and I, it really hit home. He's like, how do you expect – there's already all these plumbers in these areas – that are established, they own their land and factories and all these things, they've already paid for their excavator. It's like, how do you actually expect to be competitive in an established market? And he's like, and he goes, I'll give you another example. He's like, he's a uh, set of strip shops. There's already a fish and chip shop there. 
why would you open another fish and chip shop? He's like, that's what you're thinking about doing. And he's like, is that where things are going? And I'm like, oh, this is really interesting. And he goes, the internet is new and got mass adoption coming to it. Have you considered that if if this thing pulls off, like you can be the first person on here? And like it really hit home for me because like I didn't have a good answer in how I was going to compete with other plumbers in the area at this point. And I opened an uh, eBay store and like saw immense success quickly despite having no skills. <laughs> Luck. It's because I picked a innovative opportunity, right? Yep. The people that got on the internet early, I could just imagine this. is like Yellow Pages existed, like the idea of going, do you know what? I'm going to be a better Yellow Pages marketer. Terrible idea. Like the moat was collapsing as the innovation of the internet took off. Totally. The idea of becoming an online advertiser, winner. Yeah. So – uh, I feel like this point's really important and I can go with even more examples of this because this one keeps moving. You have to keep doing it. This is not one that you can go, all right, I'm going to innovate once. Like you have to keep innovating and investing in research and development. Like my second round of innovation was Facebook ads. I was, yep. I was very early on Facebook ads and I actually landed some massive clients, not because of any other reason, but I was the only option. It just wasn't that many people doing Forced it. Forced into it. Today, Grant, I um, have started doing TikTok ads. Yep. And you know what's interesting? If I post anything online about the results I'm getting on TikTok ads, moths to a flame. My inbox and messages light up with, when can you do this for me? Can you help me out with it? Like, I'm not even trying to sell it. This is just literally me wasting my own money trying things on TikTok. I shouldn't say wasting. It's it's actually been really successful. It's good. Yep. Yeah, but it's like me doing research and development. The intent isn't to make money off it. I'm just like, does this work? Does it not work? Is it going to be worth anything? But I've got literally people lined up to spend with me because it's innovative. Yeah, it's a new thing. Yeah, so how many business owners are holding on to legacy things, not innovating, just waiting for someone to innovate and like just destroy market share for them? Yeah, and I like to think of innovation like law of diminishing returns, right? And you would have seen the adoption curve previously, like uh, – where it's like that bell curve where you've got like the early adopters and then it kind of gets to mass market and then everybody's offering it and then it kind of goes through a decline, right? And I always look at these innovation concepts around like where am I on that uptick? Like if if my dad's saying to me, let's go and open a Facebook marketing company, I'm like, it's probably past its prime. Do you <laughs> like think it's prob- really funny? Do you know I think it's really funny? First off, what I think is funny is that you keep bringing your dad. <laughs> Do you like this? This is great. Yeah. But the second one is I think people forget like electricity was an innovation. Totally. Yeah. Like at some point yeah. it was like, wow, you know, there's this new thing out called electricity. Have you seen this shit? You can put a light <laughs> on. This fucking light. Like, <laughs> oh, my gosh. And now it's it's taken for granted because it's not the new thing anymore. Um, but I will also say like innovation doesn't just have to be a, just a new sort of shiny thing. Right, like you can innovate by bringing two services together, by bringing two uh, pieces of software together. You can sort of complement other things. Like just, it's not just looking for the next trend, which I think is a great way of innovation, but also understanding where people are at on this on this maturity curve. Like to use that Seven ex- uh, Eleven example, and coffee in like Melbourne and Sydney and Australia in general, like it's mass market as a product, like it's so mature. But what the unique thing is now is the price and the ability to pump out at scale. And that's the innovation. They, they've gone, well, everybody's having a coffee every single morning, but people don't want to pay for these prices. And now they're like stirring um, international roast in the offices. And they're like, well, maybe people- hey, I'm, just- a, I'm a Blend 43 guy. Don't- <laughs> Blend 43 guy. <laughs> Upgraded. Um, and so that was an innovation. And so this is like not the, not the natural innovation that people will think of. I've gone, oh my gosh, how do I build a better software? How do I build a better thing? It's like there's so many different ways to innovate. And my number one recommendation to everybody around, oh, Grant, how the hell do I innovate? Go and look at what other people are doing in other countries. For us, like smaller business owners, we're not the size of 7-Eleven or Apple or McDonald's or anything like that. Are you telling me if I have a gym and I go and look at what gyms are doing in the States, I'm not going to get a whole heap of great ideas? Oh, my gosh. They've got, I don't know, they've got keyless entry to their gyms. Oh my gosh, they're shipping out, I don't know, kettlebells to people or renting kettlebells to people and things like that. There's just, you will just see all of these different ideas that you go, it's an existing idea in a different country, but not in my country. Or, oh my gosh, I can go and go to a seminar, go to an event, go to a meetup and see what other people are doing and go, oh, this is interesting. I can bring that back into my industry. 
Yeah, I think that's a really good one. Actually, franchises are really common. Do you know how many people go over to the US, see what franchises are doing well, and then they bring them to Australia? Like that was like, I think Grilled was one of them. Grilled. I think there's been a, a heap of them that have done yeah. it. Um, to your example, the gym one, like 24-hour gyms are a thing here now. I, I look at it and go, if you can make anything better, cheaper, faster, the likelihood of that being a good thing is huge for innovation. Like was trend a- is one thing to your point. But better, cheaper, faster, I keep coming down to. It was a CrossFit gym in Queensland um, that I know someone who is the trainer there. They're secondhand. Like they got old equipment and then they replaced it with new equipment. Dude, they kept the old equipment and rented it out, like at least it out to their members to go and do things at home. I think that's a great innovation. <laughs> like, I'm like, what? This is fantastic. So instead of just getting rid of it or flogging it, they're just like, yeah, cool, just rent the older place, put it on your balcony. It doesn't matter. It's already damaged. No worries. Keep going. I'm like, that is fantastic. Again, just a different concept of innovation. Uh, got any more good examples of innovation? What do you think is like a, a strong innovation? And I'll go with one, another gym one I know. One of the gyms that is a bodybuilding gym in uh, this area I live in now has an outdoor section of their gym so that the people that want to get a tan while they work out can. GLT. Because it's like, see what I mean? Like that's their little innovative thing. I thought that was quite unique. You know, it's very interesting. We might need to do an episode all about like the latest innovations that we're seeing going on. I'll give you another one from my um, history here quickly. Like how I innovated agency land is like every Melbourne agency had um, Melbourne staff where I had uh, offshore team. I was one of the early adopters on that. So my innovation is I was way cheaper. So I quite like those ones. I think software, like anything that replaces people with software is a great innovation as well. I quite enjoy those. But I'll tell you what, Grant. I think that's the end of this episode. Is there so anything we, else you would like to include? I feel like this has been an I interesting want, conversation. I just want to say congratulations to you, Charlie. We we did fit this into 25 minutes. Oh, <laughs> 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 let's wrap it up. Sorry, right, so for everyone out there, it's like we copied a bit of flack on some of the way we do our episodes out there by a few people, just letting them know. But it's like Grant and I plan these episodes with the intent of them being about 20 to 30 minutes so you can get it in on a walk on your car ride it never happens ever no no chance (laughs) we got no chance all right well i'm gonna wrap this one up thank you so much to the people out there that uh do tune into the show um i love getting the emails and messages and things from out here so those of you that do reply to us and just let you let us know hey we're listening and enjoying it we appreciate you um, hugely, and we want to encourage others to come and reach out to us as well. You can connect with me by replying to the emails or in the Facebook group. Uh, you can't connect with Grant. He doesn't actually reply to any messages online. So for all of you that are messaging him and he's cold shouldered, you probably just don't. You totally. We just message both of us. Like, <laughs> but, I, but I will say, like, and, and we say, like a lot of people say this, but genuinely, like the people who have messaged out, like, thank you. Like this, the situations that you have shared with, helps us create the topics that we talk about on here like we actually want to hear from people and we do reply and especially charlie replies very well um but even like joining us on facebook join the full stack business owner community facebook group like this is a community for a reason talk to us (laughs) like we are not some we're not crazy celebrities we want to talk to you like this is exactly what we're about i just can't believe you're saying that you're the one that doesn't reply people message me saying i sent grant a message and he didn't send me anything back (laughs) anyway i'm really wrapping it up they don't need to hear this crap on the podcast grant that's it for this episode thank you everyone